Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Green Book Podcast. This is a, a special edition. It has been one year since we launched this adventure, and what a year it's been watching this grow, watching our, our audience engage with us, our sponsors, and our, our all of our partners. It's just been fantastic. So before we even dive into this special edition, I want to give a shout out to our internal team, to our producer, Natalie, to our audio tech, James, and editor, to our sponsors, and most of all, to all of our listeners. Without you, we wouldn't be doing this. And on that note, a little bit of a segue, because without our guest today, I would not be doing this. Now, he may not like me throwing him under the bus, as some may see it. for this role that I've evolved into over the years. But our guest today is Simon Chadwick. And uh, I will let him introduce himself in a second, but I want to give you a little context. I have known Simon for, gosh, at least 15 years, back in the Rockhopper days. And when I made this transition into this role with Green Book, into kind of this editorial analyst, pundit, whatever the heck I am type of of role in the industry, Simon was already there. And he was developing that presence within the industry. And I looked to him as a mentor. We've had the opportunity to collaborate a lot over the years on various and sundry things. We've had the opportunity to disagree over the years on various and sundry things. But through it all, he has really been kind of a North Star for me to think about the type of influence that I would like to someday achieve. I think I have a long way to go before I achieve the, the level of prominence and influence that Simon has, but he is just fantastic. And I can't think of anybody more appropriate for this kind of year in review special podcast than, than Simon Chadwick. So Simon, now that I've fluffed you up a little bit or not, as the case may be, why don't you tell our audience, for those who, who may be living under a rock and don't know who you are, a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you, Lenny. And, and I'm very flattered and honored that you should think of me in that way. The bus is not as bad as you may think. So I am the managing partner and co-founder of a company called Cambiar Consulting, which is a change management consulting company that is totally focused on the insights industry and everything within that. So agencies, clients, res tech, you name it, we're involved. And my background before that was that I was the CEO of a number of research companies. I've led seven in total in my time from startups to a major multinational, which we sold to GFK back in 2004. And I actually started Cambia because I didn't want to work for anybody else again. And I thought, along with my co-founder, departed Jay Wilson, that there was a gap in the market for a company that could guide people through change. And it seems today, Lenny, very ironic to say so, but in 2004, 
there seemed to be an enormous amount of change going on, and CEOs in particular of research companies weren't dealing with it very well. I look back on 2004 and compare it to 2022, the amount of change going on then was pretty minimal. So it's only grown worse, if you like. Well, worse or better, depending on your point of view. So I'll stop rabbiting about me and hope that allows anybody who doesn't know me to uh, have a picture. Thank you. But you were being too modest. So you've also been influential within trade organizations, within SMAR, within the Inside Association, CASRO back in the day. You were the editor of Research World, I believe. For uh, I am. Yeah, I still, still, still are. The oh, okay. Yes. So your voice and presence is immense on a global level. And folks, not just, just myself, but everyone else in the industry has welcomed your guidance and perspective over the years. And I think similar to what we've been building with you know, Gen 2 and Green Book, it's kind of a baby version of what you've done, or maybe a teenager at this point. But why I wanted to have this conversation is I think you and I share a viewpoint of having lots of conduits of information coming in from various and sundry sources that impact the industry. I think we take a similar approach of leveraging that information on behalf of helping the different stakeholder groups in the industry to navigate changing times. And you know, for you, I think you, you do a far better job on being that change management consultancy. We're on Gen 2, we tend to be a little more tactical thinking about technology applications and methodologies and those type of things. But between the two, we can develop a fairly comprehensive view of what's happening overall. And as you said, you know, that, that pace of change is not slowing down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems not to just- no. And I think especially in the last few years, it has only accelerated. So why don't we start there? If you had to kind of encapsulate the major trends about that change that are impacting the industry, what would you say that they are? Well, I think, as you've heard me say before, Lenny, clearly technology is an enabler of change, but I don't see it as the driver of change. We've had immense enablements of things that we've always wanted to do. I always look to what client needs are and how they're evolving and the place of insights and analytics within corporations or government or wherever it may be. And those client needs have been changing. And I'm not just talking about the insights functions, but corporate needs as a whole. And we've seen this in the raw during the pandemic. When the the pandemic first hit, pretty much all consumer models went out the window. And the question being asked in pretty much every boardroom was was what the mm, is happening. And in order to be able to understand that, they needed to have really real-time ability to ask questions, get answers. And in many companies, that brought the insights function, the analytics functions into the spotlight. But then the question mutated once there were systems up and we saw a massive adoption of platforms during that time. Once those systems were up in order to be able to get real-time information, then the question became, what will happen? So we then went to foresight and scenario planning. And now all of a sudden these functions were front and center. They were answering directly to the CEO. They were proving their value, proving their worth. And then it became, how are we going to compete in this new world? 
And so what we've seen over the last two years, and it was a trend that was already there, but it just accelerated massively, was the coming of age of insights in many, many companies to the point that now they're viewed as strategic investments, not as line items. And I think it's going to be really interesting going forward, if indeed recession hits, to see how resilient, how newly resilient perhaps research and, and analytics are in the face of recession, not being line items, cost line items anymore. They're less likely, I think, to be cut. So we may well see that the, this seat at the table is preserved. I think the thing that that has done is it's fueled the need for technology. And on the other side of the equation, we're suddenly the darlings of Silicon Valley. As you know, Lenny, at Cambia, we track inward investment into the industry with the capital funding index, Cambia Capital Funding. And last year, we saw $9 billion come into this industry of fresh money. That's 10% of the global revenues of the research sector came into this area in one year. And that has fueled, you know, obviously, development of technologies that have begun to change the very way in which we think about doing research. All of that to say that these three things have to be looked at together. They're a puzzle. I could not agree more. It's a wonderful summary. So we put on our own foresight hat, right? So what does that look like as we move forward? And I think one interesting component of that, and recently it's come up an awful lot in different conversations with the technology, the quote unquote res tech sector on, well, what's going to happen there in a recession? And my take has been that we certainly will see budget pressures applied on the client side, but that should be good for those technology enabled or even technology driven companies because the assumption is the technology will drive efficiencies from a cost and speed standpoint. So there should be a long tail there. Now, what does that do to the full service sector of the community? Well, we'll see. I think we saw a hit in 2020 for full service while the tech companies rose to the occasion, but we saw that level out. I suspect that we'll see a, a similar trend play. Sorry, that's just an aside. What I found most interesting is, and to your point, we had technologies already here. Non-conscious measurement comes to mind. Online qualitative, obviously, during 2020 was another example. And they rose to the occasion because of the need to understand more deeply what was driving the change. And recently, if we look at the capital markets, most of the activity we've seen in the past few months have been directed towards those non-conscious measurement companies, um, or at least a, a good chunk of it. You know, There's been some fairly sizable investments in those companies that have created technology solutions to understand emotions, which I'm thrilled to see because I think we're rapidly moving towards an integration point where I had hoped we would always get to as an industry, where it's not just the who, what, when, where, and how, but also the why. And now we have scalable solutions to help enable that why, which can lead us more towards earning our seat at the table and having that foresight because we can understand people and what drives their decision-making versus just the circumstances around, right? The, the components that may be impacting that. So what do you think about that? No, I, I, I think that's very true. And I think one very interesting statistic would tend to back up what we're both saying, which was that from 2020 to 2021, according to the ARF, insourcing of projects 
grew from 37% of all projects in a given year to 49% in one year. It's probably over 50% by, you know, by 2022. And a lot of that is A, in response to greater demand, but not hugely increased budgets, the need for speed in many, many circumstances. And as you say, the arrival of technologies that are doing things that enable us either to have an always on grip of what's happening in the markets or indeed in the political ecosystem or whatever, or to get to that why. So where we're seeing a lot of investment right now is certainly in, in some of those you know, implicit testing, neuro, all of that, but also in areas such as that occupied by Morning Consult, for example, we're seeing an enormous amount of investment in the risk management area, which involves you know, massive amounts of data collection and data integration at humongous speed to be able to feed in real time to senior managements of, of corporations who are having to manage uh, risk and, and prepare for it. We're also seeing it in, funnily enough, things like concept product testing, you know, where you, you've now got platforms that are actually able to do product concept testing very effectively and efficiently. But what's then getting overlaid on that, but very often by full service operating in partnership with these platforms, is again the why through implicit measures or whatever. I, just this morning, I was working on something where you know an implicit system was being discussed with a platform. And I think what that has done is it's enabled the ways that we have been doing research or would have liked to have been doing it to change, but not making them obsolete, but to change. So for example, we saw that in what used to be called customer satisfaction, Medallia, you know, kind of came in, completely changed the playing field, and it's now CX, and there's many more players in there than just Medallia. We're seeing the same thing, I think, in brand tracking. Those old, boring brand trackers of the past are, are in the past now. Now we have the always-on brand trackers of you know, UGAB and people like that. And now you know, concept product testing, and as you say, behavioral science, all of that we're scaling it, we're actually able to do so much more with it because of technology. And I think that actually is a very healthy sign for the industry. You mentioned full service. There is full service grew fairly nicely in the States in 2021, just under 7%, but it was obviously lagging, you know, other segments of the, of the industry. Interestingly, and I'll do a plug for Melanie Courtright here members of the Insights Association grew on average by 15%. You might like to think about that correlation of whoever's viewing this. The trend that we're seeing there is, and it's been around again for some time, but it's accelerated, is that full service is mutating into what I've termed research plus, where you know companies have a really, really good foundation of high quality research, but they're layering onto that the ability to consult strategically, design services, activation services, all of those sorts of things. So they're much more rounded in their approach to their clients. And that actually is because they've now been freed of the necessity to be managing, project managing the collection of data. Does that make sense to you? 
It does. And, and we watched that in 2020 via the grip report. So couldn't agree more. And I use 2020 as a great example of that as well, that, you know, we saw that initial influx of insourcing of folks taking the, the using technology to get, you know, cheap answers, fast answers really quickly. But the more they insource, the more they realized, wait, we can't do all of this ourselves and we need external help. And some of that could have been from a project standpoint, but often it was, gosh, we don't have anybody on site that, that understands segmentation and we need to perform whole new segmentations. So I think that's driven that growth. And I continue to tell any of our res tech clients or, or even just the industry as a whole, there's never been a what I would consider to be successful pure SaaS company in this industry. There has always been a service element. And I think we're moving towards that evolution. The way I kind of think about it is on a spectrum of service-led technology-abled on one. So let's call that the full service category versus technology-led but service-enabled on the other. And there really is a difference in terms of the business models that those those companies utilize. So I see you nodding in, in a setting. So yeah, so there's the interesting framework. Now, that said, as we look towards the future, it will be interesting to see how we may wind up with not much of a difference between those two ends of the spectrum. I think they may be converging more towards the middle. There's, there's a couple things. There's headwinds that may be challenging for clients to navigate. One may be simply a data quality issue. They're not fully equipped to manage that, and neither are the technology companies in themselves. So I think that's going to create one component of, of an interesting dynamic. The other will be where we, we used to think we were going to live in a world of data oceans that were all interconnecting. Well, no, we're not now. It appears we are back to a very siloed kind of data lake model, uh, primarily driven by privacy regulations, the decline of the cookie, et cetera, et cetera. We see many of the many platforms now building their own walled gardens. So it's going to take a very different approach to try and connect those data streams together. And they're all going to be different. So that's the second potential issue. And the third, and I would really love to get your take on certainly the first two things, but, but this third one, the advent of the client organization now becoming a supplier, which we've seen over the years, but I think there's a change now. Walmart with their Illuminate product, you know, Amazon launching more bespoke research solutions. I fully expect Elon to do something like that with Twitter, which you know, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. But the, the point is that we are seeing more and more clients now because they've created these walled gardens of data that are valuable of realizing, wow, we need to augment this data. They have their own internal customer base that they can sell to and building out what really are internal full service research companies with external offerings as well. So competing against the existing supplier ecosystem in many ways. So what's your take on any of those three things? And what do you think that may bode for the future? Well, to the third, I think it is a fascinating development. I mean, obviously, we've, we've had some of that in the past, you know, with Dunhamby, 8451, same idea. But obviously, when you come to somebody like Walmart or Amazon, you're now talking in a totally different ballpark. I think Walmart claims to have 260 million customers in the US. Obviously, some of those are not as 
prolific as others, but nonetheless, they're there. And I think the the biggest challenge or, or the biggest advantage that they have, the differentiation that they have, is that it, they have the ability to build the platform just as you know any other platform. They have the ability to integrate platforms together through partnership or otherwise. But what they're actually really doing is taking survey data and appending immense amounts or potentially immense amounts of behavioral data, which is the holy grail that you know we've never had. And I think that changes the landscape, you know, particularly in CPG and, and other related areas. And yes, that is going to affect the competition. I don't think it'll affect full service, yes, but it's also going to affect other platforms. And you know, I don't know about you, Lenny, but I foresee over the next year or 18 months, and we're already seeing it now, not only a lot of consolidation in the platforms sector, but a lot of failure too. At my last count, there are over 230 platform companies operating in the States, 350 worldwide. And it, it's not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. So I think some of those are going to uh, go by the wayside and others will consolidate. We've seen a major age of consolidation over the last few years. And you know there was a dip for a little while there in 2020, but and I think that's going to accelerate in 2023. So, you know, that's all to say that new competitors such as the Walmarts and the Amazons of this world coming into the arena definitely will change the landscape very considerably. I think there are unicorns or potential unicorns out there that also are going to change the landscape. I mean, Qualtrics already has, for example, but companies such as Morning Consoles are already doing that. And those are going to change fairly permanently what we consider to be the Insights ecosystem. So all of which is to say that we're, we ain't finished yet. Yeah, again, could not agree more. And it's interesting times. I mean, there are, from an M&A standpoint, now there's active, I'm sure you're aware of similar conversations where there are platform companies looking for you know, they're at that level where they're looking for an exit, a few, and having conversations with Walmart, with Amazon. They're now, you know, potential acquisition targets, which was not necessarily the case a few years ago, or 8451 as well. So mm-hmm. definitely interesting times across the board. So this is the anniversary edition of the podcast it's from December of 2021 to December of 2022. So using that relative time frame, what's been the biggest surprise for you this year? What was something that happened? You were like, whoa, I did not see that coming. Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't think there's been anything that has been a massive surprise. You know, I think you've talked about the, you know, the the Walmarts and the Amazons. I saw that coming. I think the change in brand tracking, I think that's, you know, been glaring at us for a couple of years, maybe three years now. I was mildly surprised at the speed with which concept product testing got onto platforms or is, is getting onto platforms. And I think a lot of the full service product research companies were very surprised by that. One thing that I am very keen to do, 
we're talking about it is to revisit the insights maturity model that BCG and Cambria and Yale worked on back in 2015, 2016. Because I suspect that we're going to see a considerable increase in the number of companies who are now rated as strategic partners or better, and the number of functions that are rated as that. You know, it was 20% in 2015. I'm thinking it's going to be somewhere around 35% now. And if you'd asked me whether that was possible in 2019, I would have said it was a, a massive stretch. So again, you know, pleasant surprise seeing that happen. And now a lot of the work that I'm doing, and I'm sure Gen2 is doing as well, is helping those functions stay there, you know, not sliding back. But, you know, in terms of just being flabbergasted, no, not really. Not really. Nothing. Well, hence why you're the guru of the <laughs> industry, Simon. So <laughs> the Cambiar is the Berkshire Hathaway of market research. So, <laughs> oh, wow. I've got to write that down somewhere. <laughs> we'll just start calling you Mr. Chadwick Buffett. How's that sound? <laughs> um, all right, I'll quit fluffing you up even more. So now let's let's turn that on its head, slightly on its head. What is something you've been expecting to happen that, God, when is that ever going to occur? What is a long overdue change that just has not happened yet? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think you and others have been expecting or talking about the rise of neuroscience in, in research. And, you know, I can remember how long ago was it that the ARF did a massive test of, you know, all the different forms of neuroscience. Yeah, 2012, 20, yeah, I think. Yeah, at least 10 that. years. And it hasn't happened. And, you know, we, we work in the M&A arena. I think we've sold one neuro company in that time. We're looking at things like implicit. Yeah, that's all good. But, you know, that idea that we could you know, read brains and understand what was happening and the why would come through all of that just hasn't happened. And if you look at the investment side of the equation on that, it's pretty much zero, at least as it appears. I'm going to push back on that. The last few months, there have been some significant investments in the. So I agree, the EEG, fMRI, they're not scalable. It's not there, but facial coding, implicit, even text sound likes and voice sound likes, but facial coding, especially in just in the past six months, we've seen some pretty significant investments occur in that arena. In those businesses, I know that they are growing fairly well. I think if you but, include that as a definition, yes, I would agree with you. I'm thinking about the EEG, FMRG, all of that sort of stuff. It was huge, huge kerfuffle made about it for years and years and years. Just didn't happen. Yeah, well, that had to do with Pradeep. He was a wonderful snake oil salesman. I shouldn't say that. That's not right. There's a lot of technology that there is absolutely fantastic. It's just not scalable. So it was supplanted by other technologies. Now, do you think, Lenny, and sorry, I don't mean to be the interviewer here, but facial coding in our industry, I think its reputation has slipped quite, quite a lot over the last couple of years in terms of quality and applicability. Do you think these new investments can turn that around? I do. And like, like you, right, we work with a lot of brands. 
And there is, you know, a large global pharmaceutical we're working with right now that the, on the Gen 2 side of the equation that the, I mean, their focus is on applied behavioral science and facial coding is at the very top of the list in terms of technologies they can deploy to address their business need with their objectives. Now, I do think that, and it goes back to the ARF testing. You put 10 of these companies together side by side, and all of them are going to claim to have a better metric for facial coding. And the reality is that they're all about the same, right? It's the, okay, your your widget is blue and that one is orange. How much does that really change things? So I think there's been a, a lot of jockeying for position around trying to have some centralized quality metric that is simply unrealistic. So... So I think that's been been a challenge. Now, as we see those technologies deployed, so for instance, uh, Affectiva in, in their merger, you know, most of their work is now on automotive. You know, there's still a, a major augmentation within the research space or platforms, but they also have a ton of competition of companies. So that's all that they do. But the technology is being rapidly matured through other use cases, which builds out effectively the AI database that keeps making it better and better and better, like anything else. So I, I do think that we're going to get there. However, that said, it was interesting just in the past, gosh, what was it? Uh, just two weeks ago, I think that the UK regulators sent out a shot across the bow saying that, you know, facial coding could be very problematic from a data privacy standpoint. So I think there are challenges that we'll have to be very conscious of regarding that, that may slow things down despite. So I think the client demand is there. I think the technology is pretty much there, but you know, there are other aspects to that that could derail the whole damn thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I actually sat through a demo of a one of the more the later stage facial coding platforms yesterday. And I have to admit, it was very, very impressive. So I'm cautiously optimistic. But the UK, a shot across the bows, as you say, came from an interesting angle because I think what really spurred it was the growth, particularly in central London in the shopping streets and Oxford Street, of billboards that do facially code you as you're going past and then put up an ad that they think will be relevant to you. And a lot of people found that very, very creepy. So I, I think that's where that came from. The surveillance state, I mean, it has data privacy, all of those things, you know, there, there are elements of, <laughs> you, may, you may remember this, I'm sure there was some event that you were at and I was up, I would often use the movie Minority Report during talks back then as, you know, an example of the, the nirvana. Yes, this is fantastic. You're walking through the mall and you're getting targeted ads of you need to buy new underwear. Yay, that's wonderful. I don't feel that way anymore. <laughs> you know, the older I've gotten, the more I'm thinking, oh, that's pretty creepy. I, I don't think that I want particularly live in that world. Much broader, much broader cultural issue and, and political issue, I think, around those things. But it's, it's legitimate that, you know, sometimes public perception just changes on these things. Mm -hmm. Yep, very much so. Very much so. All right. So I want to be conscious of your time as well as the, the time of our listeners. So I'm going to... All right, Mr. Buffett, the <laughs> major prediction for the year ahead. What is something that you think we are likely going to see that may not be surprising to you, but could be surprising to those who, who don't 
live so deeply in the weeds as you mm-hmm. and I do mm-hmm. <laughs> on this industry. Yeah. I think there's going to be, let's say, some sharpening of the knives in 2023, in as much as, you know, I think if there is recession, and particularly global recession, that an increasing number of companies, both on full service and on the platform side, will go out of business. I think that's probably a healthy thing in the long run. I think we will see the continued rise of the integration of qual and quant. You know, I think it's very interesting what's going on in some arenas in terms of the use of chatbots and how those are developing at speed and the use of personal assistance, you know, the Alexas of this world to conduct qualitative at scale. I think we will continue to see and this is, isn't something that is generally talked about, but there are some amazingly creative qualitative agencies out there now. You know, they're not necessarily all young ones, but they've pivoted. So if you take, for example, the sound, which is based up in Vancouver, but is global, incredibly creative. The use of video for storytelling, the use of journalism for you know, activating insight results, whether it be video journalism or printed or online, we're going to be much, much better at telling the story because we're going to adopt the technologies that are all around us to tell that story effectively. And I think you know, one of the things we do, and I'll give a shout out to Lucy Davis and the Keynes Mustard because we work closely together on this, is to, to uh, work with companies to work at how they socialize insights, how they democratize insights within their own organizations through these types of, of methods. And really revolutionizing the way in which um, they're, you know, they're actually talking with and to not just their stakeholders, but the entire organization. And agencies are getting better at that as well. And so, you know, we've been concentrating in the conversation quite heavily on the, the technology side from a data point of view. But I think there is, I think what we'll see over the next year or so, year, year or two, is utilization of technology from the storytelling side. And so that, that's what I would look out for. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> yes, I agree. I mean, even with grit, right, we've been transforming how we, I mean, it's still this big monster, right? <laughs> but but we're, we're, we're trying to make it more bite-sized. And we even had a conversation yesterday about, you know, perhaps we need to think about doing short video snippets for folks that consume the information more that way than, well, here's the 200-page report, just dive in and and. Yeah, and read it because you know there's not many bibliophiles like uh, like us around anymore. So I agree. I think that that is both the delivery and how that enables activation within the yeah, organization. That, really that's counts. the key. That's the real key. I think activation is going to be the big theme of next year. Yeah. All right. So last question uh, before we let you get back to uh, being the massive influencer that you are. Where do you look? for inspiration nowadays, Simon, whatever it may be. What gets you excited, whether it's within this space or outside of the space, but where's inspiration tend to come from for you? 
Uh, inspiration really comes from actually working with our clients. You know, we, like you, I think, have increased dramatically the amount of work that we do with corporate insights and data analytics, analytics functions. And what inspires me is the determination that I see to be strategically significant and to achieve that, that activation, achieve that, that status of a strategic partner. And we've been helping stand up various insights functions and some, some absolutely brand new uh, in a variety of companies. And just seeing the way in which these professionals are so determined to do, you know, to do this is hugely inspiring because I grew up and I don't, well, you grew up too, is uh, in the trough of the nineties, at least in this country, where research was relegated to the basement. You know, it was, it was tactical. There was nothing strategic about it whatsoever. I remember being told by a client of a very major automotive company that I was not allowed to talk to their clients about strategy or anything else. My job was to say what was significant at the 95% level or not. You know, and he was horrified that I'd been talking strategy. That's so different today. And that's what inspires me. That's what keeps me really jazzed up these days. Very cool. Very cool. Simon, it is an honor and a privilege to talk to you whenever that occurs, or especially in this, this setting. For our audience, I really do. Yeah, I get flowery with everybody, but uh, I want to make sure that you you hear very clearly that Simon is a gift to our industry. He has been for a very long time. Uh, he means a lot to me as an individual, uh, and I do see you as a mentor, and glad that we had this opportunity to kind of commemorate the one year of the podcast, because one day I hope to be at least somewhat as impactful as you have been to so many people. So on behalf of all of us, thank you. Well, thank you very much. I'm very flattered. And congratulations on your one year anniversary. I am a listener and, uh, you know, I, I enjoy them immensely. Thank you. That's a high compliment indeed. So uh, again, as when you have a face for radio, this was always an aspiration. So <laughs> to do something like this. So I appreciate it. And on that note, thank you to our listeners, because without you, there wouldn't be any need to do this. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our team. We really, really appreciate it. And we are looking forward to a fantastic year ahead with new inspiration, new insights, and new conversations that hopefully will keep you at least somewhat interested as we continue to pioneer this evolving world of insights. But for today, that's it. Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transforming insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. 
Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.